Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, podcast producer, and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by two guys who are only here because they tested a negative three consecutive times on their PCR test, Detroit Free Press beat writer Chris Solari and Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch. Guys, first of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for being healthy. Second of all, we somehow got to this point. It has been a crazy 2020 with everything, you know, obviously with all the Big Ten ups and downs. But boy, in four days from now, we're recording on Tuesday afternoon, we will be playing football. It's pretty crazy, right, guys? Three days from now. Don't forget that Friday game. Oh, yeah. How, how, very careless of me on my part. Sorry, sorry, Big Ten schedule makers for <laughs> letting you down there and not giving you the proper respect. I mean, let's be fair. I mean, how many schedules have you had to look at? I mean, this is the third opponent for Michigan State. <laughs> They were supposed to play Northwestern. Then they were supposed to play Minnesota. Then they were supposed to play Rutgers. And, you know, here, here's the, the little hidden thing that's still here. And we're, we're at Tuesday mid-afternoon. Um, who knows if Rutgers is going to even make the trip? I mean, that's, but that's the world we live in right now. I mean, you see games getting canceled the day or two days before. So uh, as of right now, game on, right? Yeah, I mean and- – this is probably the most fair matchup you could imagine because it's the two first-year head coaches who didn't get spring practice. Um, who you know, we know the least probably about these teams other than what they were under their previous coaches a year ago. Um, and so, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, even though Northwestern Michigan State is like the quintessential, you know, even matchup, the original schedule. Um, this is probably a, a, a fair look, and 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 um, it, you know, I think I either said or was thinking at the, the time this latest adjusted schedule came out that this also might have been a favor to Mel Tucker for keeping his mouth shut when uh, when some other places were complaining a little bit about uh, there not being football. Yeah, this is about as close as you can get to. No offense to Rutgers, but this is as close as you can get to a non-conference game. I mean, that's the reality of where Rutgers has been since Greg Schiano left now that he returns. I mean, they, they've been abysmal. They didn't, they're, they're 21 straight gate losses in the big 10. Um, this is for Mel Tucker. It, it may be the, the best opponent that you could get on this schedule at this point. Yeah. Graham, you mentioned, uh, Mel Tucker staying quiet of everything. That was basically that basically sums up his press conference this afternoon, and we will get into that a little bit here. Actually, in a couple minutes, uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, no depth chart was released either, so a lot of unknowns heading into Saturday's game. But we will try our best to, uh, you know, parse through previous things said or things said on Tuesday that might be able to take away and trying to build build a depth chart and potential starters between ourselves, and then we will make our Big Ten Michigan State preseason picks and we'll do some over-unders on predicting how certain things will go well first off let's let's start with that press conference uh graham i'm going to have you go first here uh what was the the biggest thing that stood out to you in terms of what he said or more accurately didn't say yeah he, he did not reveal a lot and uh, you know and that's telling i don't think he's going to be you know he's somebody who i think in normal times and we still don't haven't seen him deal with us in normal times. And, you know, if there had been a spring practice, there may have been open practices and a lot more dialogue, and we may have a better idea of a lot of things. And I don't entirely know in a normal year uh, whether this will be the way he, uh, you know, acts in terms of a no-depth chart or anything like that. But right now, very secretive. And and to be honest, what, what, what this line stood out about the, the, the quarterback um, position. You know, they, they aren't – they obviously didn't announce a starting quarterback. And, and I still – my gut would say it would be Rocky Lombardi will get the first shot, but you know, but then he also said something about, he used the word decision in there. doesn't mean they haven't already decided as a staff, but it leads me to believe 
they certainly haven't made that decision public to the players yet. Uh, and um, that, that to me was, was interesting. I think this might be a year where we're going to fly a little bit blind. And I don't know about the, whether the non, the not having a depth chart. I mean, he, he said it basically because it wasn't not a normal year and you don't know which players you're going to have and you got to prepare everybody. And, and, and that's, I, I can take that, but I, I don't know that if I was a coach going into my first game that I wouldn't use every advantage I had. And one of those would be not letting anybody know who, you know, who was, uh, who was playing where. Well, the interesting thing I thought was, was a little bit of omission there as well with what he said. I mean, you know, I was the one who asked him, I said, is there going to be a depth chart? And, you know, he continued, he said, you know, you know, we're not going to release one this early in the week. Uh, we have our reps chart. Well, one thing he didn't say that he had been previously saying is that those reps were being divvied up equally. And I think that players by this point, um, you know, in talking to some of the players and talking to Jay Johnson over the course of the last few weeks, once they got to game week, and I think Mel Tucker said late last week, they started preparing. Once they, they got to that point, they would divvy up the reps uh, based on who they felt would be the one, the two. So, you know, even though they might not have said it outwardly to the players, the numbers of reps uh, going up or going down would certainly, to me, be, be, give these guys an idea of who's going to be where. I'm with you on Rocky Lombardi. I think that particularly because you open with a Big Ten conference game, particularly because you, you don't have that ability to kind of have the non-conference schedule. I think you go with the veteran guy. You didn't have the, the off season, you, everything, even though it might be a blank slate uh, and for, from what they previously did, you can't erase the, the, the experience factor that Lombardi has. And that's one of the things that Jay Johnson talked about as well. So, but that doesn't mean I think that Rocky Lombardi will have that job long-term. I think it's going to be an ongoing competition. And I think we could see multiple starters this year. I, it would not surprise me at all. Um, but on top of the, the off season, you also have two road games coming up at Michigan and Iowa that really, you need to get all these guys ready. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see all three guys play at some point against uh, Rutgers Saturday. Well, we're talking about all this experience Rocky Lombardi has. Why not name him the starting quarterback right now? If he has completely earned the job, I think that's the most baffling part that it actually makes me think that it's not going to be Rocky Lombardi for the first snap on Saturday. I don't understand if, if it is going to be Rocky, why not give him the confidence? Let him know the job is his and, and go from there. Because I, I think it's I a think scouting it's, report thing. I think, I think you don't let the exactly. opposing team prepare for one quarterback if they have different skill sets. And, and that's, I think, I think it's, I think it's strictly that, um, for the most part. And, and yeah, I, I just think that's where you're, 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 it's gamesmanship, right? This is, this is a coach's dream. I mean, there's no, there's not even a spring film, right? I mean, name me, I mean, Greg Shiano, you can go back and look at 10 years of history with how he operated Rutgers. doesn't mean necessarily that it's going to be that way, but there are tendencies that you can pick up on. There are things that, that you can understand what a Greg Shiano system is. You might be able to go to one year of Mel Tucker's tape, at Colorado and get some ideas on the offense of what they might do. You might be able to go to Kansas state for one year and look at the, the defense that Scotty Hazleton ran there. But the reality is this is all new personnel and these coaches. I think the one thing that I've heard quite a bit about uh, from them, they're flexible and adaptable to the personnel that they have. So how do they flex and how do they adapt? We're going to find out on Saturday because Nobody else has any idea outside of that building right now. I will take the L on this, but I, I, I am now willing to bet that it'll be Theo Day or, or Peyton Thorne taking the first snap on Saturday. I have said it. I will, I will pull my uh, Skip Bayless type random pick, and we'll, we'll just go from there. But uh, yeah, so which is amazing because what, what amazes me is that past three years you have been the drum beater oh, for Rocky Lombardi to I know. start, and this is this is. This is the biggest news of the day. <laughs> this is this is the heel is, turn of heel turns is, on Spartan the fact, Speak. <laughs> the the fact that Phil Friend's depth chart has been upended <laughs> by the pandemic is to me the biggest news of the day. You just you just have to recollect your thoughts after all this after this twenty twenty that we've had. I've evaluated, I've parsed Mel Tucker's words from today, and I, I have said what I said. I think what's most important with quarterbacks is that they emerge from this year with a clear understanding of what they have. And so I'm with Chris in the idea that I, I think 
you know, you might see multiple guys. Now that could change. You think about a guy like Connor Cook, who took the job and ran with it. And and if, if Rocky Lombardi plays lights out against Iowa, and then they beat Michigan with Rocky Lombardi at quarterback, uh, you know, it may be Rocky Lombardi's show. Um, but I, I think if 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 there's struggles along the way at any point, uh, you'll see some other guys get a look. And I wouldn't be surprised to see some of that scripted in. I. Because the beauty of scripting it in is you can tell somebody it's going to happen and they don't feel like they're being replaced necessarily. And I think when you're just trying to deal with, you know, keeping guys engaged and, and confidence and all that stuff that you want. And, and if you say, you know, we're, we're going to give the number two guy a, a series in the second quarter, um, you know, and, and, and if, if we're up by this, then we're going to come in and, and, and give them another series then people people are on the same page and they don't feel like it's an, an indictment on them. And I think that and I, don't, I have no idea the way these guys are going to operate. But if I were a coach and I was trying to figure things out at that position, which which I think is a, I mean, it, it's always a critical position. But what makes it more critical, critical this year and Chris, I wonder if you agree with me here is just that I think the defense could really struggle. I think the offense at the skill positions, the other skill positions could have some some real oomph and, and electricity here and there, more so in recent years. And the offensive line they're hoping is is, is improved, that the quarterback is, is the thing that could limit a lot of that progress. So they need to find that guy. Well, they're not hoping that the offensive line will improve. They're hoping it'll stay healthy. I mean, let's face it, that's well, that too. a big reason for – I mean, but that's been a big reason why you saw some of the inconsistency at quarterback and – even with Lewerke getting most of the starts the last uh, two, three seasons. I mean, from a defensive standpoint to me, you know, I think back to that 2017 team and, you know, we thought at that point that the defense might not be ready to, to do anything and might still have some, some hiccups coming out of 2016 and they were lights out. Um, and you've got three coaches that, that have been around that defense uh, with bringing back Harlan Barnett and then also Mike Tressel and Ron Burton. So they understand the personnel. I think that's important. And I think the other thing is that you've got a, a guy in Mel Tucker who is a defensive-minded head coach. So I, I'm not as concerned about the defense, even though that there is some significant experience uh, because those three-year starters usurped all the, the reps. From a quarterback standpoint, to me, you know, I look at this and, and let, let's look at this in, in what it is. It's a It's a free year for everybody, right? You're not losing any eligibility. You've got a chance that you could rotate these guys in. This is in many ways to me an open audition for next season as much as it is for this season. Um, you know, because, you know, you could have two more years of Rocky Lombardi because it is a free year. You, it doesn't matter how, many, how much these guys play or don't play. Right. Um, same thing with these other guys. So I think that that's something that, you know, it, it, and again, Let's say they somehow start off 3-0. I think the conversation changes, but I think that there's some realism to it that this is a building block year, not just for, for Mel Tucker, and, and, but also for these guys to, to get into this program and, and see if, how much the changes can, can impact uh, their individual performances. So, you know, I, wouldn't, I would not be surprised to see some sort of plan and it wouldn't surprise me if, if two or three guys start this year at quarterback. But, you know, I, I guess we have to kind of wait and see because they've been, you know, when, when the head coach is bringing up the, the true freshman, um, not named Damian Terry, uh, you know, sometimes I think you got to take pause and realize that they're just obfuscating. For, <laughs> they're, they're, when, when he makes sure that he lets you know that the redshirt freshman is doing well, or the true freshman is doing well, I think you have to understand that they're not going to give us real information until we actually see it on the field. And, and you know, to that point, in times where coaches have tried to, you know, anoint guys at Michigan State in the D'Antonio era, sometimes it went horribly wrong. They did that with Maxwell um, in 2012. And, 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 and to be fair to Andrew Maxwell, there were a lot of things around him that weren't working uh, they, but they did it with uh, with Benny Fowler before Benny Fowler was ready. Now he's had a career in the NFL and, and became a really good receiver, but he wasn't ready yet. They did it, you know, a guy like Tony Lippett became a great receiver, but wasn't a great receiver at the time they, they needed him and thought he was going to be like a number two guy. And and so uh, sometimes 
you know, I, I don't know that, 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 that adding the, the pressure of, you know, because we have not heard them talk about a guy like Jaden Reed, for example, the way people who have seen Jaden Reed play talk about him. They, they like him, but they, nobody said, you know, like, you know, I, I go back to what the, the, the Robin Hook, who is the play-by-play guy at Western Michigan, he just thought, you know, this guy is going to be one of the all-time great receiver at Michigan State. Now, that's a really big statement, but Robin Hook's seen Greg Jennings and, and seen um, – uh, it was a kid who just got drafted by the Titans. Um, uh, uh, Corey Davis. Yeah, Corey Davis. Davis. Corey Davis a couple years ago uh, and, and other guys. And, and uh, so, you know, he, he knows what a great receiver looks like. And uh, we, we have not heard them – blow smoke up anybody individually the the tea leaves that i've you know sort of read a little bit are and, and i i wrote this for the, the the sunday column just trying to like harlan barnett talking about comparisons to where a t- group was in 2009 well there's a, a team that struggled listening to ted gilmore uh just there was some tone and there's some things he said that makes me think that there there are some concerns overall with the tight end group. Uh, now, there, I think there's Trenton Gillison, for example, I think is a, is a pass catcher, somebody who has a, a really high ceiling and, and um, is somebody they may be able to use in a lot of different ways. But when you, when you just listen to the guys speak, I, I think there are some concerns on the roster that they're not going to be uh, where they want to be. And talking to you know, some guys when they thought the season was going to be canceled, there was a sense among some of that staff that, that's not a bad deal that this program really could use a full off season and uh, just a better run up to things. And they don't get that now. So you're not going to say that, but I, I, you know, I I would not be surprised if they, if they really struggle at certain areas. I mean, you look at the cornerback position outside of Josiah Scott, they really struggled there last year, largely. And again, you go back to a year like 2017 where we didn't know what they were going to have and where, and all of a sudden Kenny Willekes and Joe Bocci and, and Josiah Scott are playing at a very high level as first year starters. Um, but that doesn't always happen. So we, we just don't know. Well, and I think you brought up Harlan Barnett and, you know, in, in that Josiah Scott situation, I think the fact when we had Harlan Barnett a couple of weeks ago and he was asked about Angelo Gross and he was like, Oh, I thought maybe I could keep him secret and under wraps. Well, I mean, it's a guy who was Mr. Football in Ohio, you know, I mean, you know, but at the same point, that's the coach's mindset right now. And when, when you're insulated like that, let's not let too much information out. And it's been a, a quietly concerted effort. I mean, when you have coaches that are just going to rattle off every single guy in the same kind of platitudes, um, you know, so that's done for, for a reason, partly to be a carrot for guys that maybe are behind the curve, partly to be humbling to guys that are ahead of the curve and partly to not let their opponents know anything. So, you know, that's what I'm saying is, you know, when we see this and, and, and again, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the COVID situation. Um, we don't know if there have been players who have tested positive and won't be allowed to play for 21 days or compete for 21 days. We don't know if, there are guys who have opted out that haven't been released publicly. I've heard of at least potentially one more, um, maybe more, uh, but we won't know that. And then, and that's a fluid situation as well. I mean, guys are doing that in mid season you're seeing at some schools. So I, I think that, you know, we, this is one of those years that beyond anything, you have to trust what you see on the field first and foremost versus anything that you hear if that makes any sense. Oh, it does. Absolutely. Well, okay, let's move on to that depth chart talk. We've talked plenty about the quarterback and who we think is going to be under snap on Saturday. Uh, the running back situation is, I think we're all pretty much on the same page that it's going to be Elijah Collins at running back. Now, at the wide receiver positions, is that, that's a situation which where they're, they're very deep and there doesn't seem to be maybe a lot of standouts outside potentially Jaden Reed. Uh, Chris, I'm going to have you go first here. What do you, what do you project out of that receiving core on Saturday? Well, I think your starters are going to be uh, Reed, Jalen Naylor, and Trey Mosley. I mean, Naylor came on last year and managed to get a redshirt year. He's got to stay healthy as well. I mean, he had two years in a row now where he's had some injuries that that have kept him off the field, and they need that speed. Um, And I think Mosley showed in his uh, time last year that he's got some good hands. 
to be able to do it. I'm, I'm interested to see some of the younger guys, um, three in particular that, that Mel Tucker mentioned recently were Montori Foster, Terry Lockett, and, and Ricky White. And White's got one of those those speed games. I think is, that's going to be interesting to to see how quickly it develops and catches on. Foster's a kid who was a basketball player, and Lockett as well. Um, that are kind of making that transition, but they have that athletic ability. And then Trayvon Morgan, who sat out last year and is really at six seven, um, one of those guys that you look at and say, boy, he'd be a physical specimen at wide receiver. Perhaps, perhaps when we talk about things being omitted, maybe he's one of those guys that slides out to tight end in a Jimmy Graham style mode and gives him a different type of pass catch option uh, there. So, uh, but I do think that, you know, Naylor Reed and Mosley to me are, are the guys, particularly because CJ Hayes has, is out with foot surgery. I'm, I'm with you there. I think the top three are pretty plain to see. And, and um, Naylor, his health, I mean, you just hope that kid can, can stay healthy because I think he's got a lot of potential if, if he does. Uh, and Mosley, I, I really like the way he played late in last season. I just, I think he's got a pretty good ceiling. And then, you know, Jaden Reed, by all accounts, will at least be starting. Whether he's fully ready to live up to all the hype, we'll, we'll find out. I, you know, I think what's also important about that group, and, and we may see it with a guy like Anthony Williams or whatever, but I, I think there's for a while, first time in a while, the potential for something in the return game that's, that, that's you know, gives them uh, an edge that they haven't had in a decade, really, since Keyshawn Martin. And, and it was really baffling, frankly, at the end of the D'Antonio era, why they could never could never really find that guy. It looked like when Naylor early last year, they might be able to, to do that. So yeah, I think the receivers, those top three are, 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 are the guys. And where the questions begin is if somebody gets hurt or they start, you know, you know, four, five, six, you know, usually you travel six, um, you know, who are those guys? And, you know, does, does anybody, anybody young jump in there? But if those three are healthy, I would expect those three to look like a, uh, to be the best trio that potentially that they've had. Uh, since 2015, and and I, I do think it's a chance to be a position of, of strength for them. I was going to say, Larice Nelson is back as well, and he's another guy to keep an eye on. I think he's he's got the most experience of that group, so as a leader, I could see him, especially with Hayes out, I can see him playing a bigger role. We talked about the tight ends uh, earlier, and I think I think it's we, we're all maybe on the same page. It's going to be Trenton Gilson. Do you have anything, to, guys, have anything to add on regarding the tight end? we got to remember that Matt Dotson's the one who's got the most starting experience and, you know, where he's at health wise, I think is, is a big thing. And, you know, both his, his Achilles and his hands, um, you know, and that's, you know, that's been, and he didn't have anything physically wrong with his hands other than dropping passes. And that's been a big reason. I think why, you know, when you saw Gillis and may come those catches in the pinstripe bowl that, that you thought maybe this is the, the turn of the corner or, at that position, but at the same point, you know, Dotson's still going to be the most experienced blocker you have in a bunch of guys that are, are really even towards the end of the last year, some of them didn't play because they weren't great blockers or, or they weren't even tight ends. <laughs> I mean, that's the other thing about that position. You know, you look at an Adam Burkhorst, uh, you know, you, you, you've got hunt the, the punter, you know, you've got guys who weren't even at the position and, and what's a very complex position. People say tight end next to quarterback is the most complex and, and, the, the sense I have of concern there is, I mean, Dotson's incredibly important if he's healthy and, and 100% because he is in a position that's asked a lot of in the running pass game. He's probably their most complete player, at least. But Gillison is is, is the guy, when, when the, I think, the, their best pass, passing target, and they're hoping becomes a complete tight end because I think if he does, I mean, he's got the frame for it. You're, you're looking at a prototypical NFL guy uh, down the road and, and uh, just a guy who can really stretch defenses, which they struggled to do. And, and, uh, and, you know, later years, the D'Antonio era and, and do a lot of interesting things with it. If, if the strength of, you know, if, if Elijah Collins is healthy and, and continues to take strides and is the player he was, and those three wideouts as a trio are, are, are problems for defenses. And then you, you have a guy like Gillison who is, you know, last year, like he made some plays, but he's also lost sometimes. And he really takes steps. All of a sudden, you you could have a situation where you really have problems, matchup problems for defenses. And Gillison, as much as anybody, could be a real matchup problem. Before before we both clear out here uh, to give Chris space to talk about the offensive line, I do want to make one note here. Uh, 
11 players had at least one start on the offensive line for Michigan State last year. That's not what you want. Uh, Kevin Carrick had, or excuse me, Matt Carrick had 11. Uh, Jarvis had three, Samak four, Campbell nine, Allen nine, Buter two, Duplain five, Higby four, Dobbs one, Reed 13, and Arcuri five. And of course, Jordan Reed, the only guy who started all 13 games last year, is sitting out this year uh, due to COVID 19. So, Chris, this offensive line, uh, this is definitely one of the heavy heavy restructurings that Mel Tucker and his staff have to undertake. I don't know if restructuring is the right word because you do have all those guys coming back with experience. What you have to do is reconfigure, first of all, to figure out which guys mesh at the right spots. Um, second of all, they got to stay healthy. I mean, I think it's been – if I, I, I remember – this is off the top of my head. I think it was 16 different combinations of starting offensive linemen in the past two seasons. Well, that's not going to win you many games, but you know they managed to win 14 games despite that um you know sometimes when you sit there and, and think about that objectively that's that's pretty impressive um and surprising that they were able to win as many games as they did with so so much influx up front um you know when i look at this line um you know there's there are guys that are young that are talented i thought duplain played well last year i thought samak played well last year um do they get the start i mean you know I mean, Luke Campbell's been a versatile veteran guy. He's been a starter for since 2017 off and on. Kevin Jarvis got hurt, but he's a guy that, you know, to me last year was was forced into playing left tackle because they were he was their third left tackle option when when Cole Chewins went down and our Curry went down. So then he goes down. Ended up going to four different left tackles. Think about that. And like they, I think it was maybe the first five or six weeks of the season. Yeah, but, they, but Chris, they, the only pushback I would have on this is that half those guys, I mean, they did recruit poorly at tackle. Like, they did. I mean, they, they, did. They, I mean there, there was a lot. Some of it was absolutely injuries. But you also recruit to a certain level where the guy behind you shouldn't be such a drop-off, where the guy behind you should actually be a tackle. Where the, I mean, there were a lot. I mean, there were issues beyond just the injuries uh, for the last few years. Yeah, but those are, those are issues that can't necessarily be solved by a new coaching staff until they get in the recruiting realm. I mean, you know, I've, I've, they've talked a lot about how, how improved Spencer Brown is. I haven't heard a word about Devontae Dobbs. I mean, both those guys are part of that last recruiting class in 2019 that were, that were, had a, a bunch of guards and those two guys is kind of the bookend tackles. Um, I think right away, if it's me and, and I've, I'm putting together this line, I'm putting Kevin Jarvis at right tackle to start the year because one, you got to fill that Jordan Reed hole, and two, he's got tackle experience on the other side, and he's played a lot um, of football. You don't, you don't think it's Luke Campbell there? Factor. Yeah, it could be. Uh, but I thought I, I I seem to have flashbacks to the last time I saw Luke Campbell outside, and yeah. I, I it was at Ohio State, and he kept getting blown by um, over and over again. So, you know, I think that I think Jarvis, you have to seal the edge, um, and you know, I think our Curry. And, and Jarvis, to me, you don't want to move our Curry because he—that's the only place he's really repped in a game. Jarvis has moved around, so he's a little more flexible. Campbell's flexible as well, but I think he's an interior guy, like we talked about. They've got a lot of guards. I, I think you the whole I mean, they have to have the offensive line is is sort of threefold. One, it's you, you do have some experience there. You have a ton of starts, and and so that you you should. And, and Jordan Reed is, is 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 a big loss, but it's that maybe this is a time where you know. And those guys are healthy. They're seniors. There's experience. It helps. And then the the, the JD Duplains and the and the, the Devonte Dobbs. And we'll see. You know, we'll see what those guys are. That the younger guys that the D'Antonio staff was excited about that class uh, are now ready to be in roles where they they're you know I think Duplain will be, but they, where they're at least uh, you know capable depth. And um, you know, and then then maybe you're you're, you're okay and you you take some steps. Uh, I still doubt, I still have, it's just seeing is believing with this group. Like the idea that this offensive line would get a push against a decent big 10 defensive line is something I can't picture because I haven't seen it. And since, and since they, you know, ran the ball down Iowa's throat with LJ Scott 22 times in, uh you know, and, in, in, uh, on that final drive, it's been that long since they've done that to anybody of, of, of any quality. Well, and you got to remember that that group is long, long, long gone. Yeah. I mean, this, this, and a lot of these guys were, you know, many of them were playing in 2017. I mean, you know, 2018. 
Um, I, I talked to a former player who, who played in the NFL who is adamant, adamant that, that the two best linemen are Nick Samak and JDU playing from the game film last year. So you're talking about two second-year guys who got late-season experience, and you know you've got, and that would be Samak at center over Matt Allen, who's a senior. So you know, I've heard from a lot of people that Tucker is is very much on the best player plays train. Um, so would he be able? Would he do that? And how how would that affect a locker room? Because I think that's another part that we never really talk about when you had veteran guys that have been around the program for that long and paid their dues and maybe feel uh, not necessarily say entitled, but feel like they've put in the work to do that. It, it causes a ripple effect if they get bypassed by a, a younger player. No, the um, politics, so, the politics change. And that's for that. That can be that tough. True. You, felt like you, you earned your due to be next in line. And all of a sudden that you've got to prove it all over again. I think that's, that's a hard place for some kids. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to the defensive line a little bit where, the Spartans really have well, to. Well, I think re- we need to revisit. I, I think we need to revisit the running back situation, though. Oh. I mean, even though they've got Elijah Collins back as a starter, I mean, what you're not going to get through a year with one guy. And you know, right now they've got five, six guys behind him that are competing to be that number two guy, which will be interesting to see how it goes. I think it's going to be Connor Hayward by experience, and you know, the the whole thing we've heard about them wiping the slate clean. But you know, Brandon Wright's a bigger back. That's a different look. Anthony Williams is more in that Hayward realm where he can flex out and you can do some different things there. Maybe you see some two back sets. Maybe you see some of the true freshmen, whether it be Simmons or Eaglin, to because there's no tape on them. I mean, you know, that's I, I don't necessarily think that we're going to see Elijah Collins be a 30 carry a game guy. I don't think he can. I don't think he's built for that just yet. No, I, I think the Hayward coming back was a big deal. And, and, but I mean, obviously, he, Elijah Collins is your featured guy unless somebody emerges. It's not going to be Hayward, but I think he is somebody you can rely on in pass protection. You can use. He's he's so versatile in terms of the passing game, um, reliable. He he's been a good back. He's not a bad running back. He's just I don't think he's dynamic enough to be your, um, you know, to be somebody who makes something out of nothing type guy, which you sometimes need. You may need with this line a little bit. But yeah, I, I I do agree, and, and I'll, I'll be curious to see what happens behind them, um, because the other thing is, and I remember talking to Dave Warner about this when they had the the three running backs a few years ago. You you know, it's just hard to play three. Like if guys are healthy, really, it's it's a two back deal. It's hard to have a, a real role for a third guy, and so I'll, I will be curious to see how that how that all evolves. Chris, do you think it would be? Do you think it'd be Williams or do you think it would be Hayward at the number two if you had to pick today? If it was me, I would pick Hayward because of the blocking element of it. I think that's, I mean, when you've got a new quarterback, you absolutely need that. And, you know, there are ways, and this is, I think, there were some things that were lost in translation last year when Connor Hayward was the starter and, you know, went behind Elijah Collins. And, you know, it's not that he's not a great athlete. I think he's a tremendous athlete. I think people forget how good of an athlete he was. The guy played quarterback and linebacker and safety and all these positions in high school he's got that he's got an nfl pedigree in his background it's about usage um and i think he's one of those guys that that you can use him a bunch of different ways you here's the thing do you need a tight end could you use him as an h-back and use him in a blocking role where he can actually get out and get in the slot and make plays or come across a formation It's, it's all about being creative with with a guy like him and also with williams i think you know, that's one of the things that Mel Tucker said. We don't want to be predictable to the point where, well, Anthony Williams is in the game, so we know we're going to pass, you know, because other teams can set up and realize, well, he's not going to be able to, to, to block, so he's going to go out in, in, in a route. So, I mean, that, that's, that's where we don't know a lot about what Jay Johnson is going to do. But I think that, that Hayward's versatility and athleticism allows them to be flexible and, and do some things creatively on that offense. Good running back talk. Let's move on to the defensive line there where they've got three significant losses in Kenny Willekes, Raekwon Williams, and Mike Panashuk. Uh, Chris, you've written quite a bit about the, the front seven, and obviously the defensive line is part of that. Uh, Kai, what are, what are you kind of seeing when it comes to the defensive line? To me, I'm not, I think that's the one area where you may see the quickest turnaround from those guys. I think that, I, I think that, 
uh, they had a, a basically a two A or a one A starting group last year in the middle with Naquan Jones and Jacob Slade. I think those two guys are big, and I think they love those 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 other big guys. Um, the, the, the two Jalen Hunt, um, who redshirted last year, and Deshaun Mallory, who I think got a little bit of field time and, and flashed, um, but wasn't really needed because they had four guys. Uh, the, uh, the Ron Burton always called it, or Mike Tressel last year actually called it a pair and a spare is what he wants at the D tackle and DN spot. So there wasn't much room for a fifth guy last year because Panashuk and, and Raekwon Williams got most of the snaps. And then those other two guys were great. How can they handle a, a starters load? That'll be, Interesting, particularly without the the trip, typical off season, but I think they're fine in the middle. Um, but the, the edge has been an issue since since that 2016 recruiting class disappeared. Um, I think that you know Jacob Panashuk opting back in is huge because he's, from what I've seen, I think he's maybe the best returning pass rusher, the true pass rusher in the Big Ten, but how much of that is based on having Kenny Wilkes opposite him will be, be play out in the field. I, I think the guy to watch is Michael Fletcher. I think that Fletcher's got the reach. He's got oh, the yeah. size. He's got the, the motor to, to do that. And that's no knock on Drew Beasley. I think Drew Beasley, you know, has, is, is one of those guys that has maximized his talent, uh, very similar to, to Kenny Wilkes in that way. But I, I think Fletcher's got the type of talent that you can't keep off the field. But they're thin. They're thin on the edge, and that's, you know, that's been a that's been a problem for a couple of years. So, how do you deal with that? I mean, is that that's that could be another area where you see some scheme things. I think the edge is a. I mean, the edge. These those guys are hard to find, and they got lucky with Willikis that really saved them after you know the you know Josh King especially going way back and they the, until they have that when you when you've got questions at corner and you've got questions on the edge. I think that's it's a major concern. It's it's you know when you face a capable quarterback and receiver game that they're going to be able to, to shut people down. I want to not this this may age horribly, and so by the time people listen to this, this may be a horrible thing to bring up. But the breaking news right now is that Washtenaw County has issued a two-week stay-at-home order for U of M students, and I don't know if Minneapolis qualifies as home. So that's just interesting. Hmm. Interesting news. Well, it, that's also how how many weeks? Two weeks. Well, guess what's in a week? Yeah. The Michigan game, Michigan, Michigan State game. So that's that game is supposed to be in Washtenaw County. Right. So, yeah, not only breaking news that affects wow. this week, but next week. This is this is the world we live in, and it's going to be fluctuating and fluid like this for, for quite some time. Yeah, with no bye weeks built into the schedule, it's going to be hard to adjust things for, for situations like that. Okay, well, let's move on to the linebackers here. I don't know if Luke Fulton and Charles Willekes were in line to be starters or anything like that, but uh, it was revealed yesterday, I believe it was broken by Matt Wenzel of MLive, that they were arrested in a September altercation at a Michigan State fraternity house and have been suspended indefinitely from the team. Uh, that, I mean, at the very least, that affects the depth chart, the, at least the 2D, especially with Luke Fulton, Luke Fulton, a guy who I believe was a high-level recruit uh, coming out of high school in Ohio. Yeah, I got the information about the the fraternity house being involved in that situation. So, I mean, you've seen those type of things happen over the course of the years. Uh, But I do think, though, that um, Fulton was a guy, when you need a middle linebacker, that was a guy that when Mark D'Antonio recruited him, they they gushed over that kid and thought that he was a natural middle linebacker. So when you're already hurting at linebacker as it is you lost joe bocce um you, you had struggles last year filling that middle spot so you moved tyree thompson over noah harvey didn't seem like the fit then and uh you know also antoine simmons they needed his speed on the edge you know what happened there um i don't know i, I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic they, they love chase klein i think that you know he's a kid you talk about the, the need for a pass rush. I mean, they put him as a down lineman on end last year when they had some injuries, uh, when Jack Camper was hurt. And, you know, that's a kid that, that can get to the quarterback, but you need the depth. Um, you know, the Fulton situation, I think, adds a, a big layer uh, and a big opportunity for Marcel Lewis, who was a guy that opted out initially and opted back in. I think Marcel Lewis becomes all of a sudden uh, potentially a rotational piece along with Jeslord Botang, but they still got to find that guy in the middle. What do you do? I mean, Graham, I, if 
this is part of the, the complexity of what we're dealing with right now without not really knowing much. You know, are they going to play 4-3? Are they going to go 3-4? Or, here's one, could they go 4-2-5 and maybe drop another defensive back who's got linebacker capabilities like Michael Dowell in there and and have that as their, their setup? It's going to be interesting to see how Hazleton approaches this. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's tricky because uh, to, to this point, he had kind of hinted that they would play 4-3 because that's what they knew, right? And that's what they had sort of previously recruited to, to and they didn't want to change it up too much. Um, you have to wonder where, where this, you know, you want to play to your strengths. You don't want to see it too com- complex. I've seen defenses uh, struggle with, uh, you know, new defenses that are overly complex. And you, you've got um, not having that guy in the middle, not having an edge guy on the line, not having corners you know about. I mean, it is, I, I mean, this is just me. I, I think, and I know not everybody feels this, I think this defense is going to struggle mightily. And I, I, I think the, the key for, the team is going to be the offense because I and look. It's not that they don't have talent at linebacker; they have some talent, and um, but it's you know you don't have that guy who's a natural in the middle. And if you, you take an Antoine Simmons and put him there, you're losing what he gives you on the edge. I don't think they want to do that. And uh, I I think it's it's um, it's it's a little bit of a tough a tough situation. Yeah, and I, you know that's why I wonder what what they do from a schematic standpoint. Um, you know, do you? Have, I mean, I don't necessarily know if you have the numbers to run three, four, but you do have the numbers in the back end with all those guys at safety uh, to to maybe bump someone up. Maybe you know, even some of the guys that that you haven't really heard of those those younger kids, um, like I said, like a like a Michael Dow, um, or a, a, maybe that's a, maybe that's a role for Dominique Long because he's bounced between corner and safety. I mean, they, they've got a, a lot more depth at the back end to me that. You know, if I'm looking at this, I say, boy, there's a chance they could go four two five and, and get an extra defensive back, or even bump a, a guy like uh, like Dow up as a linebacker. So, you know, but again, there's no game tape, so <laughs> no practice tape, no B-roll, nothing. So just to butt in here again, so we don't have wrong information out there, athletics is not part of athletics can proceed because, of course, athletics can make money and <laughs> isn't part of public health. So <laughs> they're going to let hey, but- athletics play. That, uh, that explanation is a, is a bizarre one all the way around. Well, yeah, I don't know yeah. if I did all that well, but it, it is what it is. Well, we're kind of already talking about the defensive back, so let's transition to the to the no-fly zone. It appears to you know, be a, a decent strength uh, of the Michigan State defense, as we kind of talked about with, with Julian Barnett and, and Xavier Henderson back on that side of the ball. Graham, I'm going to have you go first here. What what, to kind, what kind of you see out of the defensive backfield, considering they do have to re- uh, replace Josiah Scott and Josh Butler, who were two significant players for that team last year? Yeah, I don't think the Butler. I mean, Butler struggled. He was, an, you know, he was a veteran player. I don't think that's something you, you expect to be able to replace a player of that caliber. The question is, you know, the, the year before with a guy like a Justin Lane and then Josiah Scott last year, those are the guys that you, you got to have another one um, because we saw last year when they didn't have any corner uh, uh, opposite who was ready to go. What happened at Ohio State? I mean, the Ohio State game that they played so well, as well as anybody played Ohio State all year for a quarter, quarter and a, into the second quarter a little bit, other than those two turnovers by the offense. I mean, the defense, there was physical. Anyway, that turned on Ohio State realizing that Michigan State didn't have another corner. And, that, and then it turned on Michigan State's defense losing trust in each other because it was trying to make up for things because it knew it, it, didn't, it wasn't solid across the board. And so if you get to a point now where um, – now, granted, I don't know if either corner is worthy of not being picked on. I think, you know, the, we're, we're, I think Shakur Brown is the guy they think is their best guy, the guy they're talking up. I think he was pretty okay at the end of last year, but he's not Josiah Scott. Or wasn't yet. And so I, I think that's, that's a position of, of, of real, real concern for them. Here's one for you. What if the starting defensive backfield is – Julian Barnett and Angelo Gross. It's possible. I mean, that's a real possibility. I yep. mean, you know, you, I mean, Gross comes from a similar pedigree and, and background as Josiah Scott. They loved the kid when he early enrolled and started to get on campus and he's a smart kid. Um, you know, but they also love the idea of moving Barnett over there. Now, I don't know where Barnett is in the transition back, but it's his natural position. And there was, I was watching a, a couple things back um 
just randomly the other day. And there was one interception where you saw Barnett end up making a tackle that I thought was a cornerback type tackle. And that's something that Mel Tucker wants. He wants a guy that can do all things, cover, tackle and, and pursue. Um, you know, and listen, Brown and Gervin, I think are very good players as well. Uh, so they've got some options there and, and they've talked up everybody. I mean, when I talk about, when we talked about the quarterback and they brought up Noah Kim, I mean, they've talked up everybody. They talked up Davian Williams. They've talked up Chris Jackson, Dominique Long, who's bounced around in his position more than, you know, <laughs> I mean, more than anybody that I can remember at Michigan state, maybe Jeremy Langford is the closest to, to having more position changes than Dominique Long. But, um, you know, I, I think there's, that one is to me going to be a completely wide open thing that when we see it on game day, uh, there may be some surprises there. Let's move quickly here to special teams. Uh, in case you guys have some, some thoughts on that. I, I think it'd be interesting to watch Matt Coughlin. Uh, he had a really good, you know, consistently percentage wise first two years. And then last year was not very good. At all. I believe 22 of 32 on field goals, if I remember correctly. And, you know, maybe he just, he set expectations pretty high for himself and, and wasn't quite there. Last year. But I don't think there's a serious challenger to that either. Do you guys have any special uh, teams insights you kind of want to, we should look at or. Well, I'll say, this, uh, you know, I, I think a kicker, you know, he, he was not, um, he was really good two years ago and he was, you know, hold your breath every time last year and they need the they need the guy from 2 years ago and this is not a team that can leave points off the board this year. He they need if they get the you know if they get they get the consistency out of him that he's shown at certain points in his career that'll make a big difference and frankly in a year where you've got some games against teams like Iowa and Northwestern and maybe even Rutgers I mean we don't know about any of these teams it's very hard to know it could be the difference in two or three wins and, and uh, so I think that's big that the punting game we've seen the impact that has when they don't have a guy. So we'll see how, how good they are there. And then in the return game, I, like we talked earlier, I, I think that is a position where they can take a significant step and, and, and really need to. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to skip the safeties either because I think that, you know, replacing David Dahl is huge. Um, but you know, they obviously Xavier Henderson is going to be the heart of the defense. Um, I think that's, that's one thing that, that to keep in mind and, you know, whether it's Trey person or Michael Dahl, or even if Darius snow comes in, there to take a job i think that's important but i think you know going back to what graham kind of said with Coglin, i mean olsen could push him i mean olsen's a kid that they were very high on um you know mitchell crawford at punter you know they brought in a graduate transfer to take over for hartbarger but they've got two other guys who have punted in tyler hunt and bryce berenger by the way we never even talk about tyler hunt at tight end so um that, let's let's leave that out of the conversation for now but um but yeah i, I think you know, another thing that is going to be interesting too is that in, is who does the returns and which returns. I mean, you know, we've got. I think we you've looked at. Excuse me. You look at Jaden Reed and Naylor. Who's going to be? Who's going to fit better, maybe on a punt return, or do you not want either of them if they're starting at receiver? Do you go with a Julian Barnett or an Angelo Gross? Um, you know, the guys that have return backgrounds in their history. Um, do you, do you use Naylor again on kickoffs or is he too valuable and, and just go with Anthony Williams and maybe someone else? So I, I, I'm curious to see how this staff approaches that, especially not so much the kicker to me, the return game. Cause I think that there are, that, that was, we talked about it and you mentioned it, Graham. I mean, that a lot has been left to be desired from that, from Michigan state standpoint for almost for a decade. All right, well, let's move on to everybody's favorite segment during our preseason podcast. It is our Big Ten Michigan State picks and over-unders. We are going to start with the Big Ten most overrated team, Graham. I'm going to go with Penn State. And, I, you know, I, obviously there's news on the running back that he may not play. But I, I, I don't like what they have at wide out. Um, they lost another guy that, that either opted out or is injured there as well. But, uh, you know, experienced quarterback, great tight end. I don't think they've got the playmakers they've had. I, I think there's some holes on the defense. I, I, I think I, I'm not saying they're going to be a bad football team, but people talk about Penn State as, as, as some national contender a little bit this year. And I don't, I, I, I think if you're talking about overrated, I think that's a team that, that, that won't make it. I would have gone back to in most years, uh, or shouldn't say in most years, but from last year when, when we all were kind of consensus that there's no way Nebraska can be as good as people were hyping them to be. And guess what? We were right. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to go the other route in the West and say Wisconsin, because Ooh, I do think spicy. that, 
you know, you've got changes at quarterback now with the Jack Cohn injury. Who knows how long that'll last? Um, if, if it's a season deal, um, I think that you've got you've got to replace the running back. You've got all those things that are kind of swirling right now. And I think that to me, they could be the one that you know that, that the injury. And now, granted, they got a four-star quarterback that that's going to take over, but is that Mertz kid has yet to take significant snaps and significant games. So, and when you jump right into conference play, you got to be prepped and ready. And I don't know if sorry, know if he's ready for that. All right, most underrated team, Chris. I'm going Minnesota because I got them to win the West. I just like what they got. I, I and I ne- if you would have told me two years ago that I'd be saying that that PJ Fleck has that team right where he wants them, I I probably would have been surprised at myself. But I I thought he did a great job last year. It helps to have that tandem back and Morgan and Bateman, but they got a, uh, even though they lose Antoine Winfield in the secondary, they got a good secondary back there. Sneaky, sneaky. They, they finished second in the league in past defense a year ago. So Minnesota to me, I think, I think is going to surprise a lot of people and, and sustain and, and win the West this year. I, I For me, it's Indiana. And I think Indiana is going to finish good second in Ohio state. And it's always dangerous to pick Indiana, right? They always let you down especially when there's any sort of expectations. I love the quarterback. I love their wideouts. They've got a lot of experience. Uh, and I look at the rest. different offensive coordinator in three years. I look at the rest of the East, and at Michigan, you've got a lot of unproven guys. You've got guys who have opted out. You've got a new quarterback. At Penn State, I don't love their skill position players. Um, you know, at Michigan State, obviously, it's a, it's a new regime. I think Indiana is going to be a good football team. I don't know if they're a great football team, but when I look at the rest of the Big Ten East, that is how I think will at least be in a tie for the second spot in the Big Ten East uh, by the end of the season. And they'll beat Penn State, by the way, which is a great play. If you're looking for a play on the money line, it's basically about plus 200. Indiana, not a bad play. Week one. We allowed to talk gambling now, now that it's legal? So if this is our first podcast now that Clint, or I should say first football podcast yes. now that gambling is legal in the state. We will we will have a gambling-type question here toward the end. Uh Player, Big Ten player that excites you the most that is not Justin Fields, Graham. Oh, it's Rondell Moore. I'm glad he's back. Um, I mean, he's just he's just fun to watch. I, I like watching guys at that. You, there, are, there aren't that many athletes like that in the world, and when they when you, they also have football speed, that's pretty damn cool. And uh, yeah, no, Rondell Moore is it for me. Yeah, I I, I got to go three here because there are three guys not named Justin Fields that I think are exciting to, to to watch and they're all all from non-ohio state schools i think you know more in particular how he comes back from that injury is going to be interesting to watch but i think rashad bateman is is a first round type talent and i think they're going to chuck the ball around quite a bit and he'll be interesting to watch and to graham's surprise pick i think stevie scott the third i, I you know we got to see him uh the last couple of years and he's really blossomed into a pretty good back and got good talent and, and i think that the components are around him to have a big year. So, you know, that's maybe sneaking away a little bit by adding three, but listen, when, oh. when you've got three guys that, that aren't at the powerhouses that, that, that can be on the radar, I think that's great for the big time. Yeah. And a guy in Indiana, you know, Watt Fillier, Michael Penix, I, I think it's a really good, yeah. all those guys are interesting, good skill players. And, and just to get to say Watt Fillier is, is, is awesome too. So, <laughs> I'm say that as well. yeah. yeah. Well, the, and the one thing that I, I'm, I, if I'm, you know, nitpicking your pick, and I kind of chimed in there, is that they, they are in their third offensive coordinator in three years. And, you know, that kind of change can be significant. You know, sometimes it's for the better, sometimes it's not. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they how they handle that, um, especially now that, that Penix is the guy and, you know, Ramsey's now the guy at Northwestern. Indiana, by the way, was the team that showed the way to defeat Michigan State's defense last year, and they never recovered. They never could handle... You remember the the way they they played almost underneath. They they, they let the they let the blitz come. They let it, they they just played in, in the spaces. They found the openings, and that was that was offensive coordinator work. And so that that is a really good point, Chris, because I, I think Indiana, while they have a lot of talent, that was schemed as well as any offense I've seen against that Michigan State defense yeah. in, in the time that Antonio yeah, was. There's there's a reason Kalen DeBoer got the head coaching job. I think at Fresno State. Um, yeah. that's a big reason. Breakout MSU player that's not Jalen Reed or quarterback Chris Jaden Reed Jaden Reed sorry 
you know, not one of those two guys. I would say, I, well, I said Michael Fletcher. I think Michael Fletcher is going to be the guy because I think that, you know, when, when Mel Tucker talks about wanting to have a physical approach and a relentless defense, that's the guy to me that would epitomize that. Um, if I had to pick a second guy, it might be Julian Barnett in his move to back the cornerback, but I'm going to go with Fletcher. I'll go Trenton Gillison. And, and I, you know, if I think they're going to have enough at wide out that he's going to be a real problem for people too. And, and I think he's, he may not be consistent. It may not be every game, uh, but he is going to be somebody they can really use as a weapon. MSU touchdown leader, Graham. All right. I'm not going to go running back because even though I think, um, that Elijah Collins is the featured back and they'll use multiple guys. I don't know what they'll do around the goal line. I don't know how. Um, so, cause otherwise it would be, it would be smart to go running back. Uh, I will go with, um, I'll go with, 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 with Jaden Reed, who had eight is a freshman at, at Western and four and one game. I mean, it just seems like a, a common sense pick at this point. I mean, it's not like the end zone has, has been, you know, visited very often. Um, but you know, I the key to me is you got to be able to to get the ball to those receivers for them to be in the end zone. So I'm going to still go with Elijah Collins um, as as my touchdown leader here because you know I think that's going to be you know when defenses tighten up in the red zone and you're you're a young guy and you know they're going to cover the tight ends pretty closely in in there. I, I think that you got to be able to run the ball and that's been an emphasis point for Mel Tucker and, and Chris Kapilovich. They want to be able to run the ball when they want and need to. And I think in close is going to be the big reason. I think not how many, that's a whole other thing. Maybe six, seven. I like it. All right. Big 10 champion, Chris. Uh, no bold prediction. I got Ohio state beating Minnesota. Yeah. Graham. Yeah. I think Ohio state is, is probably the team that that's, Head and shoulders above everybody. If I had to pick, I think Minnesota is an interesting pick out of the other side, though. I, I think I, I like that. I like that choice, um, and because I, I don't think there is a clear favorite, and they return a lot, and they've got they've got. I mean, I think he's recruited at a fairly high level too. All right, Graham. Who are your college football playoff teams? So Alabama and Clemson. I think you'd have to be crazy right now not to include those two based on what we've seen. I think Ohio State comes in from the Big Ten, and, and the, the Big 12 has sort of eliminated itself in a lot of ways. What, what gets interesting is we, we haven't seen the Pac-12 yet, so I have no idea what to expect out of there. Georgia may be a team that gets a second look. I don't love that, and I don't think they win that big uh, SEC championship game. I'm going to throw one out there, um, a team like Cincinnati, right? Um, BYU? What's that? BYU maybe, too? I don't know. BYU hasn't beaten anybody yet, but yeah. – I do think there will be a push this year. I mean, these some of these um, some of these uh, you know group of five schools have played just these nomad schedules. Some against good competition and have looked fairly good. And I don't think twelve is, is you know shown itself to be uh, you know better than these guys. Now you know if you look at Cincinnati's schedule, for example, they've beaten Austin P. Uh, Army and South Florida, none of which are very good teams right now. Um, but so, and they're going to have to run the table and look good at doing. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I, I think if there's ever a year that a non-power five slips in there because of how bad the Big Twelve has been from their sort of you know mainstays, we'll see what happens with the Pac-12. That could ruin this whole thing because I don't think I, I think there will be a little bit of a um, a will to see something like that happen because there've been some really impressive uh, performances by, and it's going to have to be an unbeaten of course. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, from a, a group of five team, I could see getting in there this year. I'm with Graham. I mean, you know, the three up front are, are pretty easy right now to kind of say with, with Alabama and Clemson really being head and shoulders above everybody else. And, then I think Ohio State will see pretty quickly how dominant they're going to be. Um, and, you know, they, they, though, cannot afford to have their annual slip up. That's, that's not, this is not the year to do that. You've got you to gotta do what you did last year and run the table in the Big Ten and, and, and get there. Um, I, those three to me, and then I still think Georgia. I thought Georgia showed out for basically three quarters, a little over three quarters, and 
you know, before Alabama machine turned it on. Um, and I, I just think that they're entertaining football. I think, you know, the, the big 12 is just not good. I think that, you know, the other conferences aren't going to necessarily have that marquee team. Maybe if I'm looking at another power five, you know, you know, I, you know, North Carolina seemed like they were going to be going down that route, but um, Here, here's the problem with Georgia, right? Is that Georgia probably a two loss to Alabama? I just don't think a two loss team in a short season is gonna is gonna get in. You know, if they, if they split with Bama, I think both those teams would get in. But I, I think that's what it would take. You know? Yeah, I you know had that had that Florida State game not happened, I, I thought North Carolina was positioning themselves to to get there. Uh, but you know, I, I still got to go with Georgia. I mean, I think there's just too much talent and too many eyeballs. I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, and again, this is all supposition that, that we're going to get to that point. I mean, we don't know what November or December are going to look like. We've already seen, you know, 20, 30-some games already canceled uh, without having the Big Ten and Pac-12 on the field. So, and, and all these other conferences, the, 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 the group of five conferences. So, you know, we're really in a wait and see. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen in those other conferences that have been playing. I mean, you've seen Florida today as we record this had, I think, 30-some guys that, that were either in isolation or or uh, or quarantine. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, th- this is our best guess at this moment based on the information that we have and know today, which who knows when you'll listen to it. But that's essentially how you have to cash and, you know, and, and couch every single thing that you say right now. All right, Chris, who's your national champion? I think to me, it's Clemson. I think that, you know, I just, they've got the most dynamic in terms of running and passing and defense that to me, I think that's that I think Clemson after knocking on the door again last year to, to get it, they, I think they get back to it again this year. Graham, is it going to be almost MSU football coach Luke Fickle in Cincinnati is your natty? No, no, I got to go Bama. Um, I just, I get, and part of it's just I get so annoyed with uh, Dabo these days that I, I got to, I can't, I can't pick him just because I'm annoyed by him. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to skip over the next two and jump to Rocky Lombardi. Rocky Lombardi, over under six and a half starts. Graham. Oh, so and I'm saying they play nine games yes, here. Yes, this, okay? this is under so, both of these next two are both both with nine games. Okay. Um, over under six and a half. I will say I'm going to give him the benefit and say over. Chris, I'm going to say under. Ooh, and but not by much. I think it's going to be about five. I debated whether to set that at six and a half or seven and a half. I think I think six and a half was. Was the winning number to put it at here? All right, uh, MSU over under three point five wins. Chris, I got them barely over four. Graham, and remember, the, remember oh, there Chris. is that ninth game also out there. Yeah, the, there this is, is going to be a ninth is, game right. beyond the schedule. Nine games. Yeah, this yeah. is this is for this is for nine games over under three and a half. That that line is from sportsbetting.ag, I think. So that was for nine. That was for nine game the nine game schedule. So yes. Yeah, I, and I have not seen many season win lines out there because I think. I know I had I had to go I had to go scouring. Yeah, you got to be in Venezuela because books don't know what to do with the idea of two games being canceled and 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 so many of these lines being negated or whatever. Uh, but I, I you know I I will go over. I have them going three and five and then a toss up. You know, winning that ninth game against uh, you know a Purdue game in the Superior Dome in Marquette. You know, which I so <laughs> that was my prediction. So I'll go over. I think three and a half is the rough is about the right line though. All right, our last question here: Michigan State. When I wrote this last night, is a twelve and a half favorite point favorite over Rutgers on DraftKings. Do the Spartans cover Graham? So I would not bet them to cover, uh, but I would not bet Rutgers. And I'm not playing. And if I were to bet one way or another, I would bet them to cover. And people keep saying, "Oh, you know, they're young." That look, look, Michigan State has had some very mediocre teams over the last four years, and they have blown out Rutgers three of those four years. I mean, they, the three and nine year, they beat Rutgers like forty five to nothing. And I'm not saying that's this is a Look, there'll be good energy with Rutgers. It's early in the season, new regime. And uh, I don't know what they have. Um, you know, two years ago, the fact they had two really good corners uh, made it made it really difficult on Michigan State, and it was 14-10. So, but I would say if, if you made me bet one way or another, I, this is a game I would call a stay away. There are better games this week to play. Indiana, 
Um, but if you're not going to, but if you, if you're going to bet it, uh, I would not bet. I would, you know, betting Rutgers is, seems insane to me. Chris, I would bet to Rutgers to cover on this just because I think Shiano's a defensive coach and I think it's just going to be, you know, more slogging possession based rather than a shootout. But I think it's going to be a close game. I, I think Michigan state wins it, but I, I think, uh, I think I've got like 20 or 13 on this one. So, you know, I see them covering that 12 and a half, but listen, when you got a defensive minded coach against a defensive minded coach, points will be at a premium. I mean, especially when, when the offense, especially when the offenses are not that great. Graham, do you have Michigan state winning? Yes, I do. I have Michigan state winning. I, 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 I think you have to go on based on everything, you know, and I, I do think defensively they're going to give up points to everybody. Um, but I think I think offensively they'll be better than people think. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap up this week's show. Unless you guys have anything else you want to add? No, it's good to be back. It's good to be talking it about is. games. Looking forward to next week and doing this again. We're gonna be we're gonna be back here on a yeah. weekly basis. Yeah, I know co- a lot of people were were wondering about why we haven't been on the regular. I mean, usually with with, with the chaos that's gone on, you know, doing this weekly is a little bit difficult, especially when. You got vacations that need to be used that couldn't have been used earlier. Unprecedented things that, yes. that really we, we had to take a little, I don't want to say mental break because I don't need to take a mental break from you guys, but, but we needed, we had, we'll be back now for football and basketball season and, you know, we'll you're, see how long it goes. You're going to be, you're going to be sick of us by the end of April guys. And, and, and you want to tease your, your, your later in the week thing? Yes. Uh, we will be, we will be starting a second uh, Spartan Speak podcast during the week, which will come up in two days. It'll be me and Nate Atkins, where uh, it's going to be mostly Nate, me chipping in in terms of film breakdown. And Nate is going to go into the film room and take a look at Michigan State's opponent that was and their upcoming opponent. So we'll talk a little about Rutgers on Thursday, and we'll talk mostly about Michigan State, too, because... I think that's where the interest is right now. There isn't too much to preview or review in that regard, especially with Michigan State having a new, excuse me, Rutgers having a new coach as well. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.